I, I know a lot of you. I, they asked me to introduce myself. I, I, we're, we're friends, uh, but I, I've, uh, my wife and I, Michelle, have been missionaries here since 1987. Half of our life, our adult life, has lived overseas, and half of it is here. We do uh, leadership around the world. And I also get this great privilege as I'm the co-chaplain uh, to the IU football team and work with Dave Hudson. I think I kind of come of our players are here too. Let's give him a big welcome there. So I, I'm part of a team, Brad and Joni Knoll, you may know them. They, they work with athletes and Dave Hudson works with Fellowship of Christian Athletes and myself and we get this really cool privilege to hang out with these athletes there, so it's fun. Lifelines, lifelines. A series about lifelines today, and I, my favorite illustration, this word picture that I want to give you of a lifeline has got to come from Peter and Jesus. You know the story, it's been preached so many times. Here we have Peter sent off with his top guys, 12 guys in a boat going across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus stays behind, goes across, and then there's a terrible storm, it's all night storm. In the middle of the darkness, these guys are terrified. It must have been a really bad storm. It had to be. Why? Because Peter's a fisherman. And if it was scary for him, it had to be scary. And all of a sudden, they're terrified, and they're, they're, they're almost crying. They look off in the distance, and someone yells, it's a ghost. And then Peter, he gets it. He says, no, it's the Lord. And then he looks at his Lord, Jesus, and he says, you tell me, I won't go, but if you tell me, I'll get out of this boat. And Jesus says, come on, get out of the boat. So Peter gets out of that boat, man, and he is walking on water. Man, look at the 11 guys back, look at what I'm doing, man, you know, he's walking on water. Here he goes, he's got his eyes. I mean, boom, 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 right on the Savior. And then that valley, the shadows, the scariness comes. And then what does he do? But he takes his eyes off Jesus. And what happens? He starts to sink. And just as he sinks, he does the absolutely best thing that every sane human being should do, but he yells out, save me! It's as if Jesus is holding on to God, walking on that water, and reaching down and grabbing Peter, and saying, take my hand. And he reaches down, he pulls him up, and he's saved. What a lifeline. Actually, all scripture is a lifeline. But sometimes it hits us differently. You think about it, after Genesis chapter one, chapter two, pretty much at the fall, from the fall through Revelation, the rest of the scriptures is a lifeline. God working his way to come back to say, come to me. Come to me, it's me all right. Live for me. Giving him this lifeline here. Now the British author Graham Greene, the British author Graham Greene once wrote, what sound does the rain make? What sound does the rain make? Well, it makes lots of different sounds depending on what it hits. It, 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 my favorite, it, it hits a tin roof and it has that matte metallic twang. It, it hits the leaves and it's got that lovely patter. It hits the lush grass and you hear that lovely thud. 
And I ask you, what sound does your heart make? What sound does your heart make when Scripture hits your heart? Isn't it interesting when sometimes, some ways, God will speak to you in special ways. I've sat in that pew right where you are, and I've listened to Tom, and I've said, I have read that thing 50 times. I've never seen it in that light before. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, make it more tender. What sound does Scripture make when it hits your heart? Uh, I believe that Scripture helps us to illuminate, to see, to get a real perspective on what God's all about. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. It's as if God gives us perspective through the scripture and we can see things. Before I was a Christian, I, I came from a very unchurched family. Before I was a Christian, I used to have three misconceptions, three goofy ideas of what I thought a Christian was. First one, I thought being a Christian, being a real Christian, meant you had to marry an ugly woman. <laughs> Woo, I'm so glad you laughed. <laughs> Couple services, you know. <laughs> one time I was in Britain preaching, and that church was tight. And I said, ugly woman, and nobody laughed. <laughs> Except one poor guy in the middle. Bwah! His wife goes, wham! <laughs> my second misconception, my second goofy idea of what I thought a Christian was, I thought you had to be a missionary. But I am never, ever going to tell anybody about God. And then the third one, I thought being a Christian meant you had to live a boring life. I get this really cool job. I get to go over the whole planet. I've been to 98 countries and five war zones. And I get to go all over the world and I get to tell, especially young men, there's nothing more beautiful inside and out than a Christian woman. And don't settle for less. I usually get more amens from that. Turn a little tighter here. <laughs> Secondly, that great verse that David also wrote, delight in the Lord always and he will give you the desires of your heart. When we delight in God and he becomes everything to us, our desires change. And things that we would think would be insane to do all of a sudden seem completely, utterly, lucidly sane. This is what we should do. People have said to me before, yeah, yeah, those Christian babes, they're all right, and come on, you, you like doing what you're doing, but Christianity is a bunch of do's, it's a bunch of don'ts, it's boring. How do you get past that? Now, most of you don't know me, I, I, I played for the Chicago Bears and the Los Angeles Rams, I, I wasn't very good. I, I, anybody here ever heard of Mike Singletary? That's why you never heard of me. <laughs> I was behind Mike. And, my first day with the Bears, come up. Oh, I'm looking cocky on the outside. I'm terrified on the inside. I'm so scared. I mean, I'm just shaking. I sit down next to a Christian. His name was Leslie Frazier. Played, he was a coach for the Minnesota, then to Tampa with Lovey now. I sit down next to this guy. He's a bold Christian. He says, I tell him I'm a Christian. He says, what's your verse? I went, wow. You need a verse to play on the Bears. You know? I thought, what's it? 
I said, what do you mean? He said, all of us Christians, when, they put a, when we sign our autograph, we put down a Bible verse. What's your verse, baby? Oh, man, I need a verse. <laughs> I thought I'd write Steve Connor, Bible. You know, I got it covered. You know? <laughs> I need a verse. I remember I'm going, okay, okay, God, okay, God, this will be it, this will be it. Best exegetical study I could do, this will be my verse. You know, you, you look down and it's the Jesus, or Judas went out and hung himself one. You know, I ain't going to work it. <laughs> God, I need a verse, I need a verse. It, it didn't happen fast, but John 10, 10. Jesus came into the world to give us life and to give it to us abundantly, completely, to the full. 75% of pro athletes, five years after they're done playing, end up divorced, unemployed, or bankrupt, and many of them all three. Why? Because they're chasing after something that just will not satisfy. And it's in light of that that I want to bring it to Psalm 23. For all David's faults, and he had many, if you look at the last part of his life, it was a wreck. For all David's faults, throughout the history of his life, his identity was tied to God. And when he lost that, he hurt himself. But he came back. We all struggle with identity. We all struggle. But here he is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Martin Luther said, the problem with the church this is hundreds of years ago, is that we've forgotten our personal pronoun. The problem with the church is we've forgotten the personal pronoun. I, I love what Neil had to say today in, in uh, communion. It's personal. And he's saying, it's is my shepherd. And you know, we've all heard that verse so many times. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But here this great king is saying, all I am is a sheep. Now, I work with pro athletes. I work with guys that got big egos. And every once in a while, you'll be by someone that has this really humble effect. Here you got King David. All I am is a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. And in that is my satisfaction. I shall not want. He goes on to say, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Why does he do that? He leads me beside still waters. Why does he do that? Why? Because he wants to restore my soul. What does that say about the soul? It says it needs to be regenerated all the time. Romans uh, 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, allowing God to speak to you. How's your soul? I ask my players all the time, how's your soul? How's your soul doing? Did you take time out? A lot of my players, you know, they're busy people. They're busy people. Maybe it's 70 hours a week and then you got school during the season. They're busy people. I said, did you read your Bible? Well, I'm kind of busy. I said, did you have time to eat? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, then you got time to restore your soul, baby. Do you really believe in it? Is it important? Let God fill you up speak to you. Be encouraged by other people. Be around people that are going to encourage you and let them restore you as well. That's why we come here. We don't just come here to sit next to people. We come here to encourage them. We call it the fellowship hall, but how much fellowship happens when we just sit next to each other? 
And he gives some people some high fives, encouraging them. Way to go. Phil's going to hate this. Alan Phillips. Phillips is one of those dudes that's just a great encourager. It's a gift. Every time I see him, I feel like, ah, he's there. He's lifting me up. When I'm around that guy, he restores my soul. What are you like? Can you do that? Are you encouraging other people? Are you one of those people that restores or one of those people that sucks the life out of other people? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? King David gets even more personal. He says, because you are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff. Uh, discipline. Every, every, I, I, I don't know if anybody remembers Coach Mallory. He was my coach. And uh, last year, he called me. I stood up to attention. <laughs> my wife is laughing, and she said, it's got to be Coach Mallory because the other coach is dead. <laughs> you know? I stood up to attention. Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. Sweat starts coming. Yes, sir. No, sir. He was the most disciplined guy, and I love him for that. A disciplined team, the rod and the staff, they will what? Comfort me. The word comfort, you, you know, whenever there's a calm, at the beginning of a word, community, compelled, compulsion, comfort. Calm means with. It's just together. And so calm means with. And, and so comfort means with a fort. Anybody here build a snow fort? You, you know, you're in the safe place and so they can get pelted. A fort is a safe place. So even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, your discipline, they comfort me. They comfort me. I prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Anointing. I know a number of you have adopted children. Uh, some church traditions we say, oh, you're really anointed. Well, really, anointing, all of that means is that you say, you are mine. We anointed King David's head with oil as an anointing from God. We anointed Jesus with this anointing from God. And God looks at you and he looks at you and he looks at you and he says, that's my girl. And just like an adopted child, someone walking into an orphanage and says, that is mine. That is my girl. That is my boy. You are anointed. How are we going to respond to that anointing? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You ever walk by those people, goodness, mercy? How many here know Ken Mitchell? You know, he's like that, isn't he? You know, goodness. He's got these bodyguards. Goodness, mercy, right back. You walk in, he's got these two guys influencing you all the time. When you walk into a building, you walk into a room, what do people say? Wow, he's got goodness. He's got mercy. Or does he say he's got bitterness? He's got jealousy. He's stingy or he's angry. What walks in with you? And King David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I wish I had a long time to extrapolate these six verses. But we don't. I think there's another, what, 10 more lifelines to go through the summer. So we don't. So let me leave you with just three quick illustrations. Three lifelines. First, identity. King David's identity was immediately tied with God 
He knew that he was a shepherd, and in that he did not want. Evelyn Underhill, one of the contemporaries of C.S. Lewis, used to write about longing, that we look for things that we're going to try to satisfy us. And she says there's three longings that we really go for, a longing of a relationship, longing of security, and longing for home, a home. We long for these things. And Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, he wrote, Thou has made us for thyself, O God, and the heart of man is restless until he finds his rest in thee. We long for things and we chase after things that are empty and that can be evil. When I was a little boy, uh, I came from a very working class, very working class home, very dysfunctional house. Uh, three blocks away was one of my kids in school, and as a little boy, second, third grade, I used to love to go to his house because his toys were better than mine. <laughs> you know? His house was cooler than mine. His family was nicer than mine. I, I, you know, I long for these things. One time I woke up in the morning, I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see Mikey. Watch some cartoons and then head it out. Put on my dirty old clothes, head it out those three blocks, go to his house Saturday, Saturday afternoon, hit the doorbell. He opens the door and he says to me, what are you doing here? And I look behind him. And a lot of my friends were behind him and they were all dressed up and it realized that there was a birthday party. And I wasn't invited. His mom felt really bad, and so she saw me and said, no, no, Stevie, come on in, come on in, Stevie, come on in. So I came in, I got my dirty clothes, everybody's clean, and I walk in, I'm feeling really awkward. The worst part was, the worst part was, I didn't have anything to offer him. He starts to open up presents, and everybody feels great. I didn't have anything to give him. It's funny where... Years later, you look back and you go, wow, I wanted that. I met Mikey years later and go, boy, I wasn't really aspiring for much. <laughs> the things we chase, they do not satisfy. Second thing is courage. I, I run across people where I go in some of these developing world areas that have so much courage. Why? Because they will say, if God is for us, who can be against us? My soul is with you, God, for eternity. Did I say this? George McDonald, he said that they lie to us. Your parents lie when they say that you are a body and have a soul. For you are soul and you have a body. And that soul will last for eternity with Jesus. You're bulletproof. I run across guys all the time. I, I was playing, I was in... Pakistan, and I was talking to these guys that I was training, and I said, don't you ever get scared? Oh, no, God is with me. Who can be against me? I, I said, well, have you ever been in dangerous places? He goes, ah, yes. One day we were playing the Taliban in cricket. <laughs> the building relationships so they can pass out Bibles, and they're, bam. He said, the Taliban, we were beating the Taliban because when they play, they have to wear their big guns. And they're very slow. <laughs> so we were beating the Taliban. Ha! But one thing bad happened. 
They got angry with the referee. And they said, the referee, you are cheating. You are making those Christians win. So we are going to kill you. And we said, we better lose so the referee can live. <laughs> so we lost and he lived. Praise God. <laughs> you, you know, the, the referee thing, you know, nothing changes. That's Indiana, isn't it? You know? <laughs> I'm glad moms don't have referees over at Winslow. You know, they don't have guns. <laughs> the referee. <laughs> They're courageous. They're fearless. And then... I see some of my friends and family aren't even going to be bothered to go across the street and tell their friends and family about Jesus. You're bulletproof if you know Jesus. Who cares if someone thinks you're weird? Pass on that love. Hand it out. Courage comes from God. And lastly, home. With just a minute and a half left, I hope this happens to you this way. I hope you wake up after going to bed with your spouse of 60, 70 years. I hope you wake up feeling a tap at your shoulder and you look to see your spouse and it's not your spouse. It's Jesus. And though you've never really seen him, you know it is the Lord. And in that, he invites you to say, it's time to go. It's time to go home. And you look past him and you see those angels out there and you realize that there's a chariot waiting for you. And you get in that chariot and these angels take you away. And you get to home. And you get to heaven. And you see your father. And he gives you this hug. He says, welcome, because you know that your name was written in the book of life because of what Jesus did for you. And then he's going to say to you, how cool is this? He's going to say to you, hey, wait a second, what did you bring with you? And you went, oh, I almost forgot. I brought you a gift, my life. I tried to live this life righteously for you. Whatever I did to glorify you, may that be a gift. I know the gift doesn't get me into heaven, but may this be a gift for your glory. And I can see God saying, hey, thank you. Thank you for living your life for me. Now come on in. Let's have a party. Identity, when it's in God, it gives us courage. And when we have that courage, because we know our home lasts forever.